Hi, this is the Product Owner Perspective, where we explore product ownership and agile product management to help you find better ways to maximize value for your products and services. I'm your host, Sjoerd Kranendonk. Please join me in learning from our guests and feel free to ask questions that we may address in our conversations. Today, we welcome Robin Schuurman. Robin is a professional scrum trainer, agile coach, and product leadership expert here at ProWareness. So we are colleagues. However, we have not worked very much together, so I hope to learn a lot in these conversations. And I hope, of course, that you learn a lot from his insights as well. So Robin, please do us the honor and introduce yourself. Uh, so my name is Robin Schuurman. Uh, I've been an agile coach and trainer at ProWareness for the last three years. And before working at ProWareness, I've been product owner uh, for a business intelligence solution and an employee self-service solution. Um, and I've been a product owner for roughly three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically started uh, in the time that I was uh, still studying uh, in, uh, in Rotterdam. And I was doing uh, uh, research on uh, software development methodologies uh, in my thesis research. And so um, I came across all kinds of frameworks like Scrum, like Kanban, etc. Um, and I was then studying uh, and, and doing afstudeer onderzoek. What is that in Engels? Like a master's thesis, something like that? Yeah, like a master's thesis. Um, and I was at a small internet. Uh, company and uh, a lot of projects there ran out of time or out of budget or out of scope. Uh, so I thought, well, let's do some research on how we can do it differently. Um, and so I came across uh, Scrum. Um, and after doing that research, I was pretty convinced that this was a nice way to do it differently. Um, and so we started applying Scrum in some projects. Uh, I then moved from that internet company to a, a bigger uh, firm, uh, which was doing consultancy. Uh, and software for the healthcare industry in Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, and there I became first a project manager in the official uh, role or function. Uh, but actually I was more a product owner. Um, and that's where the experience started. Um, and after doing that for a couple of years, uh, having had a lot of challenges as a product owner, failures uh, and learnings, uh, but also a lot of successes. And when I became the manager of that department, uh, we we adopted Scrum in the rest of the teams. So that was the, the first experiences uh, with Scrum. Um, and after that, I moved on to uh, ProWareness, where I've been working now for three years, uh, being a professional Scrum product owner and Scrum master trainer, uh, and really specializing in the field of product ownership. Very nice. Thank you for that introduction. Um, uh, can I ask, um, when you made the transition from being a, a project manager as a function or a product mm-hmm. owner more in spirit probably and in, in practice mm-hmm. uh, to being a manager of an entire department. Mm-hmm. Um, could you still use some product owner skills, practices in that function as well? Or did you mm-hmm. temporarily step out of that practice? Uh, no, there were a lot of skills or, or practices I could still use, um, especially in the field of stakeholder management, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, So when I was a product owner, I went to a lot of our clients uh, for that business intelligence uh, solution that I was developing with the team. Um, And in order to build that solution, I had to go to a lot of customers and talk to them and get their feedback, get their Mm -hmm. requirements, etc. 
Um, and in that management role, I even needed it more because I was more on a strategic level working with, uh, with some of our clients, uh, of course, in the management team. Uh, and stakeholder management became even more important in that role, I think, than in the product owner role. Uh, so yeah, it was very helpful. Also understanding um, that the feedback loop, for example, was really important. Ah. Uh, and that was really something that helped me in my management role to um, not define all the work up front and then build it and then finally ship it uh, a long time later, uh, but to actually work in short sprints um, and continuously develop some software and deliver it to customers. Cool. And understanding that helped a lot in the management role. Nice. And um, do you maybe have a short example of uh, um, something that happened or that you did in your management role where that really made a difference, you believe? Um, yeah, so there was uh, one organization uh, that we worked with uh, on the self-service uh, solution that we were developing. Mm -hmm. um, and they were really in the traditional mindset of first defining all the scope that needed to be built. Um, and uh, so they were really looking for all the requirements and we had to make some sketches and functional designs and that kind of stuff. Um, and w at that point in time, I was in, in the management role already. So when I sat there on in, at, at that table, uh, I was already um, convinced that Scrum would be a good idea and a good approach to do this as well. Mm -hmm. And that particular client wasn't really happy with how we did it at that time. So uh, just being there at the table and having the experience as a product owner, uh, knowing the practices the development team used, I was able to just draw some sketches on the whiteboard of how some components could look like, for example. So we were really collaborating in those sessions with the customer to make some sketches of how the software was going to look like. And then we were actually going to build it in the, the next sprint, mm -hmm. uh, deliver it to them, go to them again, get some feedback and change it again in the next sprint. So what really helped me was to not try to create a big upfront design again, yeah. like we used to do before, um, but to just make some sketches, really vague, more kind of wireframe look like uh, documents mm -hmm. uh, and just go ahead and build it. Um, and by really delivering the software two weeks later, they were really able to adapt very quickly, mm -hmm. give us some feedback, and we could deliver the software that they really needed instead of yeah, building it all and then releasing. Cool. So um, in your role as a manager, you still had, uh, apparently, as I hear it, mm -hmm. some uh, product owner responsibilities regarding stakeholder management mm -hmm. or you were assisting probably the actual product owners at that point with that? Yeah, so we uh, we didn't have formal um, formal roles of Scrum Master or mm -hmm. product owner at that time. Okay. Uh, we worked more with functions and uh, the function was called product specialist, mm. uh, but basically they were product owners um, just with a different title. And those product specialists were really the product owners of some of our uh, products like uh, uh, a salary or HR system, um, like the self-service solution, like the BI solution. Mm -hmm. So we had some product owners on those topics, um, but they were far more knowledgeable in all the details, like rules and regulations, like mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I was more on the overall vision of where the IT department was going. Uh, and therefore I had some yeah, talks to customers about where to develop the solutions exactly. towards. Yeah. 
So if you look at the, the trainings I'm doing right now, um, by actually giving those trainings and learning from, well, colleagues like yourself, uh, I've learned that there are different levels of product ownership. And if I look back at the, that period at, at that company, um, I was more like the entrepreneur or sponsor uh, product owner. And the product specialists were more proxy product owners uh, who were working from the company vision or my vision. Um, and they were more focused on the details and really designing what functionalities would look like and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so the, those people were closer to the actual team yep. uh, where you were more managing the vision, the direction on a, a, a higher level of abstraction, yeah. uh, also talking to stakeholders about those higher levels of exactly. abstraction. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, well, there was a short diversion because I was very much uh, interested in the, uh, that manager uh, okay. aspect and how that uh, ties into product ownership. Okay. I think it's very nice to learn that uh, some of the skills of product owners uh, can also be used in other roles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so at any point where you have to deal with stakeholders, as we call them in Scrum, that you can apply some of the, mm -hmm. the great aspects of a product owner role that's, uh, that's valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so to round up the introduction, um, I would also like to uh, zoom in a bit on uh, your current role and work mm -hmm. at ProAwareness. Mm -hmm where you were not only uh, just a trainer mm -hmm. and a coach uh, mm -hmm. for our clients, but you're also, uh, as I know, uh, currently uh, very much working on some uh, sharing of content and knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, you wrote some excellent blogs, which we will uh, share some links in and probably also talk maybe a bit about in the uh, roundup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're also working on a special project. Yeah, true. Would you like to share a bit? Of course, yeah. So uh, what I've experienced as a very tough job as a product owner uh, is to do stakeholder management very well. Okay. Um, and in the time I worked as a product owner, but also as a manager, there were always a lot of pressures within the organization, uh, partly from uh, the internal stakeholders, like uh, my colleague MT members, um, but also from our colleagues in the teams, uh, and of course from our customers and clients. Uh, so there are a lot of different interests relating to the products. And one thing that was really hard was to actually say no. Mm. Um, so to really maximize the value of your product, uh, there's one thing I believe that's really important and that is good stakeholder management. Um, and to really maximize the value of the product, uh, there's basically one word you have to say very often, uh, which is no. Yes. Um, and saying no <laughs> appears to be very different for a lot of people, of course, including myself as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what we are doing with a colleague, I'm writing a book with uh, Willem Vermaak, um, which is uh, now under the working title Fifty Shades of Nay. Mm. Um, and it's really a book about stakeholder management and various forms of saying no. Uh, so that's a really cool project to work on. I can um, imagine. Yeah. And I hope it will be very valuable for a lot of product owners. Uh, since we experience, as I said, I'm a pro professional Scrum product owner trainer as well. And one of the questions that always pops up in our trainings is, well, how to manage stakeholders effectively? Um, and with the sub-question, how do I say no? Yes. Um, yes. So, well, I hope a lot of product owners uh, will value this. That uh, sounds like a very valuable proposition. Mm -hmm. um, and we will zoom into uh, some 
specific tips you have, mm-hmm. you can already share maybe some nuggets yeah, sure. uh, as, a, as a teaser uh, later on in this talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm very curious about is when do you plan to release this book? Yeah, so <laughs> uh, we want to release it in uh, quarter two of this year. Um, So before the summer holidays. That's the idea, yeah. (laughs) So um, we're pretty far ahead. Uh, A lot of the content's been written already. Uh, We've decided which 50 shades of no are going to be in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's coming a long way. Uh, And we're now just finalizing some chapters, adding some latest uh, last content. Um, And yeah, hopefully it will be released in Q2. Okay. Very nice. Uh, we will obviously share some uh, so some links and some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, maybe there's already uh, uh, some place people can follow you on LinkedIn or whatever to stay updated. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, expecting you to shout from the roofs. My first book is out. <laughs> of in course. Any any social media you're on. So. Of course. Okay, so people can uh, can check that. Um, thank you. Uh, in the podcast, we normally uh, go through a, a series of, of, of ways of looking at product ownership. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I often notice is uh, when product owners start out, and we could have all types of listeners, of course, so from beginner to advanced, but when people start out, they're al- always uh, pretty much focused on working with the Scrum team and mm-hmm. how they should act in that way, mm-hmm. especially if they come from a project management background or, or mm-hmm. other backgrounds and have uh, the first time a product owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to uh, first discuss that topic with you mm-hmm. uh, and see if you have uh, any uh, insights, maybe learnings or pitfalls that you have some juicy stories on you can uh, can share in, uh, in working with the Scrum team actually mm-hmm. and, and finding uh, the right responsibilities uh, of, of the product owner and leaving other responsibilities to the team, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, do you have? A, can you can you share a bit about uh, about your? Yeah. View so, on that topic? yeah, I, I really recognize the the story you're saying, uh, and it's also uh, really correlated with the levels of product ownership I often see. Mm. Um, and I've had some experience being a real entrepreneur product owner, also mm-hmm. being more of a scribe product owner. And the scribe product owner is basically the starting level, in, in my opinion. Um, and for example, I see a lot of business analysts, for example, uh, starting out as product owners on more of a scribe level. And in that first level, it's, it's basically you're really collaborating a lot with the development team. Um, so they really understand what the product is needing in yep. in sense of what are the requirements of the product? What do we exactly need to build for the product? Um, what do the features really need to look like, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the days when I was a product owner, I, uh, I've been in that situation, uh, working with teams in India, for example. Um, and one of the things I noticed there is that the development team didn't have a lot of business knowledge. So they didn't really know the market, they didn't really know the product, they didn't really know the vision where we were going to. Um, so a lot of time I spent in that role was to really uh, define the requirements and to really make some designs of what the uh, features were going to look like, what the screens were going to look like. Um, so the, the stakeholder management perspective was more focused on internal Scrum team mm-hmm. to really help the development team to understand what to build uh, instead of on the outside world and really managing customers, etc. Um, so that was the, the, the first role of product ownership I had. 
Um, and basically, I was just with the development team the entire day, sometimes going to a customer uh, in between. Uh, but it was mostly just working with the development team, uh, continuously giving some explanations on where to go, um, drawing up some sketches of what it was going to look like, uh, helping them to discover the acceptance criteria, for example. Uh, so that was really detailed focus on what the product was going to look like. Um, and the other aspect was more of an entrepreneur. Um, and that was really much more high level. Uh, and in that cases, I was more explaining what I wanted the product to do um, and why we needed that or actually why our customers and, and users needed it instead of really going into the acceptance criteria. So what I've noticed is as you move along through those levels of product ownership, your role really changes from being more focused on the details and really helping the development team towards really just trusting the development team that mm -hmm. they know what they're doing and that they will come up with the best possible solution. Um, and you basically just need to steer them in, this is what I need and, or what our customers need. Uh, and this is why they need it. Uh, and they'll figure it out themselves. So if I hear you correctly, um, in starting out, you're more collaborating on the, the, the what and the how mm -hmm. with the team by making sketches and ac acceptance criteria yep. and later, um, in your experience, when you move towards a more entrepreneur, mm -hmm. total responsibility for the product mm -hmm. and uh, profit and loss and everything that, that mm -hmm. goes with that, um, you focus more on the, the why, extending a bit into the what, and the how mm -hmm. is more trust that the yeah. team can do that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and, and if the development team consists of experts who know their, their work and who, who know how to build a product mm -hmm. well, um, and they know some of the business logic and, and that kind of stuff, then you don't need to focus on it so much anymore. Okay. Uh, so by moving through those levels, you can actually create time for yourself to, um, mm -hmm. to go out and do stakeholder management on a different level. Yeah, because that's, that's also something uh, I hear a lot and see in the organizations that I'm uh, uh, coaching in mm -hmm. that, uh, uh, well, it goes for many people I interact with, but product owners the most, I think, mm -hmm. that they're so freaking busy. Mm -hmm. um, so what would be um, a tip you could give on the topic of uh, team collaboration, Scrum team collaboration, mm -hmm. but because you don't want to be unavailable for the, for the mm -hmm. team, but you also don't want to be unavailable for your stakeholders. So what is mm -hmm. a tip you could give or a, a concrete example of how to best manage that balance and, and, and mm -hmm. how to improve that? Yeah, so what I did myself was uh, basically my working station was just always with the development team, mm -hmm. uh, whether I was a scribe or an entrepreneur product owner. And what I see in a lot of organizations is that there's a real strong split between business and IT, for example. Um, and that was something I really wanted to, do, to, to reduce. Mm -hmm. So although I was from the business part of the organization, um, I was always sitting with the IT team that was developing the software. So um, kind of the agreement we made with each other was that if I was sitting there at my desk, I was available at all times to for, for questions or mm -hmm. uh, direction or whatever they needed. And if I wasn't at my station or at my working place, uh, I was busy managing stakeholders or I was going to customers, for example. So one of the things I always tried to do as much as possible was to attend the daily scrum as well. Uh, although you don't have to be there, it was always a good place to 
well, see if there were any issues or to get some, some insights in where the team was going to. And it offered the team some opportunities to raise issues or questions which I could answer uh, after the Daily Scrum. Uh, so that helped a lot. Um, and make really clear agreements that, that they can, well, they could call me at any time, uh, even if they were working late, for, for example, sometimes. Um, so I think that was really important, to make really clear agreements, yeah. um, to sit with the development team instead of somewhere else, um, and to really show them that you're available, uh, and make the agreement that if you're not there, then you're probably managing stakeholders or customers. Yeah, yeah, so really making it safe to, um to be there and be away, uh, mm -hmm. so people don't panic or say, oh, we cannot work on this because mm -hmm. Robin is not here today, yeah, exactly. uh, because they know they can reach you. Mm -hmm. And from that grow probably uh, to, uh, instead of thinking they need to have you physically available mm -hmm. at all times, to actually realizing that they don't really need you all the time, mm -hmm. just on the right times. Exactly. And by making this agreement, that, that is possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, very cool. Before we uh, go on to the next topic, mm -hmm. which is uh, the topic of your book, uh, and uh, what you mentioned that uh, you feel is very important, is the topic of stakeholder management. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, we will look a bit uh, into the metrics side. So how can you uh, make more mm -hmm. your product ownership more data-driven and uh, really mm -hmm really make it really empirical. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so th that's the two topics we have uh, uh, in store for, for our listeners right. and uh, to discuss. Um, but I want to address one small thing um, because we missed that in our introduction. All right. And that is, um, aside from just being a, a, a trainer, a, a coach and author, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the topics that you discuss are not um, for every trainer I know or every coach I know here in Pro Awareness, um, uh, topics you, uh, every, not topics everyone is uh, immediately comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And what I'm uh, getting at is that Scrum and Agile uh, is uh, it's their birthplaces and what they're uh, designed for almost mm -hmm. are IT situations. Mm -hmm. And I know you are also a uh, uh, very uh, big proponent of uh, teaching people that are not in typical IT situations like mm -hmm. a marketing team or a call center, mm -hmm. whatever, um, to use the knowledge of uh, agile way of working and uh, specifically mm -hmm. Scrum mm -hmm. to make also their work better. Mm -hmm. So um, the things we talked about up until this point, mm -hmm. um, in your opinion, are they one-on-one uh, -on -one transferable to this context or what would differ in regards of working with the team and being available, uh, sketching out possible solutions, stuff like that? Okay, yeah, so um, the, uh, the role of being a product owner is really a business thing for me. Um, so. And of course, there are some really awesome IT product owners uh, like Steve Jobs, for example. Um, but basically the role of product ownership is, has everything to do with business. Um, and when you look at the definition of Scrum, it's really a framework for developing complex products or, or services uh, in complex environments. Yeah. And so it doesn't really say something about that it's only for IT, for example, mm -hmm. or only for software development. And what I noticed is that um, Scrum is also very useful within a marketing context or a sales context. And uh, what I always try to do in those trainings is to make a difference between 
uh, the Agile mindset and the Scrum framework. And mm. I think if you look at the Agile mindset, it's all about being adaptable. It's about responding to change. Yeah. It's about putting your customer uh, first. It's about delivering value to customers. And whether you're in IT or software development or marketing or something else, it doesn't really matter. So that mindset is apl applicable at all times. Yes. Um, however, when you look at the Scrum framework, it's really meant for, for developing products and services, for example, mm -hmm. and for addressing complex problems, uh, that kind of stuff. So the Scrum framework, I think, is applicable in a lot of contexts when you're working on complex products for customers. And there are, of course, some contexts in which you don't do full-blown Scrum. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. in a call center, uh, you're probably not going to do two-week sprints with sprint plannings and that kind of stuff um, because you never know what's coming in, right, in, yeah. in, in calls and that kind of stuff. But when you're working on marketing campaigns, for example, or yeah. TV commercials or that kind of stuff, you're really delivering results that should add value to, to the com company. Yeah. And in that sense, it doesn't really matter um, if it's IT or if it's non-IT. Yeah. You can probably deliver uh, some stuff in a sprint mm. of two weeks. Yeah, especially with those uh, examples you give, uh, there's a, um, a large amount of planable work mm -hmm. in the sense that we have planable work in Scrum. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, um, although we might not be able to predict the market response to a new campaign, mm -hmm. so we want to test that as early as possible, mm -hmm. which Scrum is excellent for exactly after the first sprints more to be b about discovery and validating mm -hmm. bi bi business risk and stuff like that um, but you're working on a larger goal where you can plan out the road towards it and adapt that plan as you go along mm -hmm. and indeed uh, when you have a large amount of ad hoc uh, um, work mm -hmm. uh, then that plan may be moot because every few days you have to totally readjust the plan. You mm -hmm. cannot use sprint goals, so indeed then the entirety of Scrum is less applicable. Mm -hmm. um, would you still suggest people to look at Scrum uh, because there's useful stuff in there and, and, and still see what they can use? Or would you recommend other stuff in such more ad hoc environment? Yeah, so in, in a lot of cases, uh, uh, I recommend them the combination of Scrum and Kanban. Mm. And Kanban is more suitable for that uh, ad hoc uh, uh, work. Um, and doing that combination of some predictable work, following a, a plan or achieving some goals, um, and having the opportunity to let work come in continuously uh, mm -hmm. through the Kanban process, mm -hmm. that really helps. And in a lot of situations, the retrospective, for example, is really valuable, even in a call center environment, for example. Uh, it just helps to look at your processes, way of working, etc. every yes. two weeks, for example, yes. or every week. And I've come in, a, in some organizations which are uh, a call center kind of context, for example, or a back office context. Um, and they just do retrospectives regularly, um, for example, every week or every two weeks, just to find out how can we continuously improve. And so the goal of those teams is, for example, to really get a, a nine plus experience with customers. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that if you do uh, some retrospectives and little plannings to see how you can improve uh, the customer satisfaction every two weeks, that will definitely help. 
although you won't be really delivering increments of software or increments of done product. Yeah. Um, but the, the continuous feedback and improvement loop is really valuable. Cool, so definitely look at stuff in Scrum that you can use mm -hmm. um, and then see what fits and what doesn't. Go experiment with it. Yeah, and, and of course be, be careful with the context that you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. for, for a lot of teams who are in IT, who are in marketing or who are in sales, um, I see them cherry picking a lot. So they, okay. they do the daily scrum two times a, a week, for example, and they think they do scrum. Of course, that isn't the case. So if you're in the complex domain, then you should definitely do Scrum. Um, but if you're not, and if you're working in a back office or a call center mm -hmm. context, then try it out, but just don't forget the dot on the horizon. Yeah. So keep in mind that although you might be taking small steps implementing Scrum, don't forget that you want to do it completely uh, because yeah. every element in, in Scrum has a specific purpose. Uh, so you want to do it completely, and that's mm -hmm. why Scrum really works. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, with that sidebar on the, the business side of mm -hmm. things, which uh, uh, I think is something uh, you help ProAwareness and our customers a lot with, mm -hmm. uh, getting a better handle on that, mm -hmm. including myself uh, being a, a <laughs> colleague trainer also uh, mm -hmm. uh, dealing in this context. Um, I would like to move on to the next topic, mm -hmm. which is stakeholder management. And I would like to kick it off with um, uh, something we discussed before, outside of this, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this recording, of course, uh, and uh, jump into the, as we call it uh, now, the focus bit. This is a small experiment for this podcast. So if you're listening to this uh, interview and uh, you experience uh, a bit of a, a different vibe for the next few minutes, then that's because of that experiment. Mm -hmm. And that's because we are planning to release this bit, these few minutes, also as a video, uh, so uh, people in different media can consume different uh, uh, pieces of content and have the value that that medium supports best. Mm -hmm. So, um, because people are likely to jump in at this point, mm -hmm. we're going to start uh, off with a really small recap of the introduction. All right. So. Um, if you're uh, tuning in now, this is the product owner perspective. We're here with Robin Schuurman, and we're uh, discussing all things product owner. Um, uh, if you're very interested in what we're discussing in these few minutes, then please also look up the, um, the podcast, the audio podcast, where we are having a much deeper dive into stuff than we're doing for the video this time. In these next five, six minutes, we're really going to grab one topic and hope to add value to uh, your product ownership uh, or other work you're doing uh, um, from this knowledge we're sharing. Um, Robin is a, a trainer, coach and author for ProAwareness at the moment. Um, he's currently working on a book together with colleague uh, Willem Vermaak, mm -hmm. uh, working title Fifty Shades of Nay, uh, about stakeholder management and the difficulties uh, product owners uh, encounter in saying no, uh, because as we all know, uh, know, when we are dealing with a lot of people that want stuff from us and our, our teams that we're working with, uh, we have to manage the inflow of work, otherwise teams get overloaded. Mm -hmm. And as uh, Henrik Nieberg says in this movie, you, it doesn't help jamming more p 
paper into an already jammed printer, it, it will just blow up. <laughs> so um, this is vital information uh, on the topic of stakeholder management. Mm -hmm. So the book you're uh, writing has 50 tips, and I would like uh, uh, to invite you to share uh, one of the m most important tips or the most actionable tip that people can already uh, mm -hmm. uh, apply immediately after watching this video. Okay. And maybe also make them uh, eager for more. Let's hope Ho so. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so what can you share with us, Holden? Yeah, so uh, indeed I'm writing a book with, uh, with Willem. Uh, and it's really about stakeholder management uh, with the title 50 Shades of No. Um, and what we've experienced is that saying no is really difficult for a lot of product owners. Uh, so we decided to write a book on it. Um, and it's especially hard because there are a lot of different people who are pulling on you, uh, having all kinds of requirements, wishes and demands. Um, mm -hmm. So as a product owner, your, your main responsibility is to maximize value. Um, and in order to maximize the value of the product, um, we believe that there's one thing that's really important, and that is stakeholder management. And although, of course, you have to do something with backlog management and estimating value and all that kind of stuff, um, I think it really comes down to managing your stakeholders well. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things as a product owner in order to maximize that value uh, is saying no. Um, because from all the 10 ideas that you get, there's probably one that's really valuable uh, and there's nine that's, of course, all right, but it's not the most valuable thing to do. Um, so saying no is really important. Um, and what we think are some of the, the most important things to start off with um, is to really know who your stakeholders are. Uh, and of course, mm -hmm. that's, that's obvious, um, but we see a lot of product owners who are doing a lot of stakeholder management. Um, but if you really ask them, who are your stakeholders? and on which stakeholders are you spending your time, then it always appears that they, or in most cases appears, that they spend a lot of time on the least important stakeholders. Um, so one of the most important things I believe is to really know your stakeholders. And one of the tools we're discussing in the book is the stakeholder map. Mm -hmm. um, and to really help the, the readers uh, of the book to find out which people should be in which quadrant of the stakeholder map. And to also define some groups, for example, in that stakeholder map and to find out what are their needs, what are the channels that best fit uh, to deliver messages to them, um, but also to really think about how much time should I spend on which type of stakeholder. And by really getting a clear picture on who those stakeholders are, uh, where they are in your stakeholder map and defining strategies how to manage them effectively, mm -hmm that will really help you to move your time from your least important stakeholders to the ones who matter most. Okay. Um, so then we come back to the topic of saying no, uh, which is very important, especially to the stakeholders who don't matter so much. Um, and there are, are a lot of different ways of saying no. So one of the categories we've defined is the, the crisp and clear no. Um, so it's really clear, it's really obvious, it's pretty short, and it's a way of saying no to those less important uh, people mm -hmm. or less important stakeholders. Um, and an example of, of such a way of saying no is, is no, it doesn't fit within the product vision. And it's, it's just really short, but if you have a real clear picture of what your vision is, uh, then it will be very easy to also say no to 
those stakeholders who have a lot of wishes, mm -hmm. um, which don't necessarily deliver a lot of value or add a lot of value to uh, your vision, for example. Yeah. And another way of saying no is, for example, to take the perspective of your customers and users. And an example of such a situation, uh, earlier we talked about the, the self-service system that, uh, that I was a product owner for. And for example, we got a lot of questions from sales uh, about optimizing the declaration process mm -hmm. uh, in that self-service solution. And although they were very good ideas, uh, our main focus and main objective at that point of time was to really get in more users. And we had a very clear vision and we thought it was going to be a very valuable product. But there were so few users of that product that we didn't know if we were really adding value. Uh, so the most important thing we believed we had to do was find some customers, um, maybe for free, to really use it. And based on the customer base and real data, uh, to deliver more value and optimize the features. Mm -hmm. And so a situation I came across was that, that people from sales were asking, oh, can you build this feature and can you build that feature? And we can optimize this and we can optimize that. And so the, the shade of no we used it at that time was, well, we understand that this is a valuable feature for you, but we're not going to build it since we just need more customers and users first before actually investing more money into the product. Yeah. Uh, so that's another shade of no we've used. And well, in the book, we describe 48 more. <laughs> Very cool, thanks for sharing that. And um, let's uh, try to uh, uh, pull out some essential things from mm -hmm. what you just said, because um, you gave us just two of the 48 shades of no, mm -hmm. but there's a lot going on here. So I think for people uh, watching this video or listening to the podcast, it will be useful to uh, uh, get some highlights out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so to start with the first no, the crisp and clear no. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you came to that point from the stakeholder map. Mm -hmm. So for uh, making a stakeholder map, uh, are there any uh, resources you can, can advise people to look into that we can link in the, the video notes or mm -hmm. will we have to wait for the book? Uh, no, there, uh, of course, a lot of blogs have already been, uh, been written, mm -hmm. uh, uh, including one of my own, which is uh, 10 tips on stakeholder management. Uh, you can find it on both scrum.org and scrum.nl. Cool. Um, and it's basically a blog with uh, 10 different tips, uh, including also how to create a stakeholder map. Cool, so we will definitely link that so people can dive into that uh, uh, because yeah, this is a short video, so mm -hmm. we won't explain that all. Maybe touch a bit more on it in the uh, 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 continuation of the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, the audio part. Mm, the next thing I would, uh, want to uh, unpack is the crisp and clear now refers to the vision. Mm -hmm. So this implies that uh, the product owner has already a crisp and clear vision mm -hmm. defined, so he can use that to, or she, to say no. So um, what tips can you give or do you have, is it also mentioned in one of your own blogs, how to come to a good vision? Or should people <laughs> attend the training then? Uh, what the well, yeah, actually it is. Uh, I've written a series of blogs. Yes. Um, and uh, as we discussed, I'm doing a lot of professional Scrum products on our trainings as well. Yes. And in those trainings, there are different blocks of content we're discussing. Uh, for example, vision, for example, value, 
stakeholder management, that kind of topics. Mm -hmm. And so I've written a blog series uh, of different blogs, all including 10 tips on a specific topic. Yeah. Uh, so there are 10 tips, for example, on the Scrum framework, there are 10 tips on stakeholder management, 10 tips on product backlog management, 10 tips on vision. Um, and so there are different tools and formats uh, as well. Uh, also those blogs and, and the formats you can find on scrum.nl. Yeah. Um, so that would be a good starting point, I guess. Yeah. Cool, so we will make sure to also share that mm -hmm. um, so people can really dive into this because as we've discovered, there are some prerequisites to make a crisp and clear note. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of work to do, product owners, to it, but not before. <laughs> um, I think the vision also came back in the second note, so that's, uh, uh, that's covered already by the links we will share. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm um, wondering, or let me, let me check something, because uh, actually the why we do Scrum, and one of the major things we do in Scrum is maximizing value mm -hmm. by uh, uh, making the right choices and doing the, the, uh, the stuff that is very valuable first mm -hmm. and stuff that's less valuable, at least at that point in time, later mm -hmm. or maybe not. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of saying no. But if we uh, go a bit meta here, actually what you describe in your stakeholder map uh, example uh, and also in your interaction with sales is that uh, to to maximize value, to be able to say no, mm -hmm. you also have to, in a sense, say no to a lot of stuff in the process. So not just say no to stakeholders or people that want mm -hmm. stuff from you, but also um, know that you first have to put some energy in getting that good vision mm -hmm. and working on that. And then from there, so until that point saying no to maybe uh, doing a stakeholder map or mm -hmm. story mapping workshop, which we didn't mention yet, but I'm throwing it out there anyway. Uh, so I think that's an interesting uh, concept to, to realize that actually it's not just about the product and that you say no to make good choices for the product, but also in the way you approach your product ownership. Um, does mm -hmm. that resonate with you? Is it yep. am I talking yep. sense here? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Um, that's why I'm getting pretty enthusiastic about the book you're working on and it's this topic. For the video, I believe we, we have some, some great stuff people can, uh, can take and, and run with. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they want to know more, well, we'll, we'll continue talking for about uh, uh, 15 to 20 minutes in the, the audio version. So go check that out. We'll make sure to put a link there too. Um, so your book is not just for making better products, but also for making better people who happen to be product owners. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. Okay, so we'll make sure to put all the links in the video notes and uh, um, we'll make sure to uh, uh, also uh, link your blogs um, and, and speaking engagement, your LinkedIn profile, stuff like that. Cool. So uh, uh, thank you for this small sneak peek of mm -hmm. the book. <laughs> and. Um, uh, in the video, people will now see the, the end credits for the video, and we will move on to uh, a deeper dive in the stakeholder management All right. for a few minutes. Um, so, uh, on the topic of stakeholder management, you also already uh, we talked about the book. Saying no is a very important thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, can you give us uh, more examples of your experience with stakeholder management, and maybe also? What would be fun probably is uh, a failure 
which you overcame and became a better product owner or person from this failure in regards to stakeholder management. And I, I see you thinking, so I, I'm thinking <laughs> this is an interesting question. <laughs> so uh, please uh, share something if you can. Yeah, these, these questions are always, of course, the hardest. What's the biggest failure you made? <laughs> yeah, so no, it's, it, that's it, why it, I'm thinking. Yeah. Now, of course, you're asking just for an example. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be the biggest, but it's something that other people can take and learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, it's not necessarily a, a mistake on saying no, uh, but it's, it is a mistake I made on, on stakeholder management. And one of the things we did uh, when I was a product owner is we, we had a call center uh, unit and all the questions from customers or change requests or that kind of stuff all came in there. Um, and when I became a product owner in that organization, we had a system that contained all those change requests uh, and all the, the, yeah, the, the questions from customers, so to say. So what we, or what I did when I started as a product owner was uh, to just deep dive into that system uh, to find all the bugs or features or change requests that were related uh, to, uh, to the self-service uh, system, for example. Um, and that kind of became the first version of the product backlog. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the basic mistake was that that system uh, was there for a couple of years already and it contained change requests from uh, three, four years ago. Oh, wow. And so the, the first version uh, of that product backlog included about four or five hundred uh, items somewhere in between. Ah. Um, so that was the first version of the product backlog. And yeah. we started to work uh, from there. Um, and well, that was, that was just a major mistake because we didn't start off with defining the vision and uh, testing that with our stakeholders. So that's where the stakeholder management part went wrong. But we just grabbed the, the well, box of, of, of change requests mm -hmm. and just started to, to putting them into practice, to put them into the system. Instead of really defining the vision and testing it with the stakeholders and going to customers to find out what they really needed. And sometimes, basically just because sales was really shouting out loud, we were working on, on bugs or, or reports that customers needed, which were asked about three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, although when we delivered it uh, and looked at the numbers and the usage, for example, yeah. it was only used by one client a couple of times a month. Ah. So that was where the stakeholder management part went really wrong because we did listen a lot to sales. Uh, of course, they come at a lot of clients, so they yeah. basically know what's going on. Yes. And yet we didn't talk to the right stakeholders, obviously, um, because we were delivering stuff that only one customer who was really shouting out loud, uh, was using. Uh, right. So we should have talked yeah. to many more people uh, instead of, well, those few. Yeah. Uh, so that was <laughs> a big mistake in that time. Yeah, so probably the tip you just gave about the stakeholder map would have helped you there Definitely. as well, right? Yeah. yeah. I see this a lot uh, in organizations and people I encounter in trainings as well. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, uh, putting everything on the backlog without regard for where it originated, whatever, yeah. and then thinking, uh, uh, which is actually a good start uh, to, to start from a uh, responsibility point of view. Oh, it's my responsibility as a product owner mm -hmm. that I have to gather all these uh, inputs and make sense of them and make choices and it mm -hmm. should be on me, mm -hmm. which is 
in a sense, a correct way of thinking about it. Yep. <laughs> However, you're missing the point in that case of mm -hmm. uh, making the best decision possible for which you actually need to talk to other stakeholders, uh, find out whether stuff is still relevant, uh, stuff like that. So I think that's a very valuable lesson here. Yeah, and, and it definitely uh, impacted product backlog management, which is a responsibility, oh, wow. yeah. uh, of course, uh, directly, uh, in the sense that managing four to 500 product backlog items is just <laughs> not an option. No, I it mean, doesn't matter which tool you use, that many items is exactly. just too hard to comprehend uh, the ordering, the importance, the relevance, yeah. uh, forecasting, anything else that might be relevant to do yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I really learned from there is, is A, do stakeholder management much more effectively, so find out who the most important mm -hmm. stakeholders are and, and yeah. start collaborating with them on mm -hmm. the project vision, the strategy, the objectives, that kind yes. of stuff and form the product backlog from there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the second part is just keep your backlog as long as you can manage it. And my personal guideline is about half a year uh, is, is more than enough because a lot of, of things will change in half a year time. Um, but but four to five hundred items is just not doable. That's definitely too much. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so uh, in that sense, uh, sometimes also uh, say no to the product backlog. <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put stuff in the trash. Uh, it, it will work. Yeah. Um, and just to, to to pinpoint one one small thing here. Uh, you might, if you are really uh, a type of person that jumps to conclusions, conclude from this talk that we shouldn't listen to sales, but that's not what you're saying, right? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, <laughs> so no, no, no. sales is a very, very valuable stakeholder because they have a lot of client interactions. It's just that as a product owner, you should remember that if you get the first uh, whiff of a new re client request, mm -hmm. you should then investigate, is this really something that should get Mm -hmm. uh, the attention uh, we want to give it now, or should is it just for one client, whatever. There's a lot more going on than just yeah. getting the request. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And it, it, just like you say, instead of sales, I also could have mentioned the call center or a particular client. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. You exactly. really need to have the overview of your, yeah. your stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, or an instance I have encountered in a, an organization I will not name because this is can be sensitive, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's uh, the, um, the, the leading manager of the department or mm -hmm. the CEO even uh, has a friend who he talks to at the golf court or wherever. Mm -hmm. And then he says, oh, well, but this feature should be in it because my friend wants to yeah, use it. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he's really enthusiastic about our app, but this is really what he needs. Mm -hmm. And then thinking, oh, well, because CEO says it. We cannot say no. Yeah, yeah. So also for that situation, I think your book will be will come very in very handy. Um, maybe give it even to the CEO. Like <laughs> I read hope so. this if you have the time, <laughs> or just watch a short video uh, of Robin Schuurman explaining it. Yeah, uh, for example. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Thank you uh, for uh, for that. Um, I feel we have uh, made a natural connection in this part to the next topic. All right. So uh, I will explain that uh, and then let you uh, uh, tell a bit about your experience with that topic. And that topic is um, actually the, the, the value steering part of the product owner rule. Mm -hmm. And value steering, doing that based on actual data instead mm -hmm. of gut feeling, which I see a lot also happening for new product owners saying, okay, well, I'm responsible. Uh, I feel this is more important than that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, sometimes fed by a good fish, sometimes not, but that's just gut feeling. Mm -hmm. um, Scrum is a highly empirical framework. Mm -hmm. 
and where some level of gut feeling, you mentioned Steve Jobs, is, is good to have. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you don't just want to build uh, um, better horses, faster horses, but you yeah. do want to have that, that uh, a gut feeling, oh, well, maybe this uh, explosion device that is the, the steam engine or whatever can be used to also propel us forward and mm -hmm. then move from there. So use your gut, but have it fed by actual data. Mm -hmm. So um, we do that with metrics often. In mm -hmm. Scrum, we have uh, uh, evidence-based management. And I'm wondering what your uh, tips, experience, uh, advice around that topic are for product owners listening to us. Okay. Yeah, so just like you're saying, I think uh, a gut feeling is a very important first step. Uh, and one of the things I often do with a lot of customers uh, is when you're estimating value for your product backlog mm -hmm. items um, is to put some jars on the table, for example, or some buckets or whatever, um, to put your most important features or epics from your product backlog on them. And basically with monopoly money or, or poker chips or whatever, dot voting, doesn't really matter, to based on a gut feeling estimate where the value is actually in. And one of the things that's really hard in that situation is that uh, you probably have a lot of different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for example, people from sales, from finance, from HR, etc. And they all have different interests for the product. Yep. So the first step I believe you should take as a product owner is to, based on the product vision you have, define some kind of roadmap with goals that you want to achieve. And based on that goals, you can also estimate the value of those features. So, for example, when you're developing a whole new product, uh, let's call it a software uh, app, for example, mm -hmm. then in those first months, for example, you probably want to generate a lot of downloads or to generate a lot of users or that kind of stuff. So, in the first period, your, your goal would be to have more downloads, for example. And when you're estimating that value with your uh, stakeholders, uh, they can estimate whether or not the value is in certain features, mm -hmm. um, which will actually add to generating more downloads. So doing value estimation should be based on some kind of goal, for example. Okay. So that's basically the first step. Then you're, of course, going to develop the product and release it to customers. Um, and then data is, of course, very important. So you want to have some metrics in place to actually see if the number of downloads is going up or down. Uh, you want to maybe see if the daily active users are increasing or decreasing. Um, for example, when you're building an app which has in-app advertisements, mm -hmm. which a lot of apps have, the, uh, have these days, um, is then you probably want to have more daily active minutes uh, of users so that you can really see, well, if, if users are spending more time in the app, we can show them more advertisements, mm -hmm. hereby uh, increasing the revenue stream, for example. So really measuring data as much as possible is actually the validation uh, whether or not you've estimated your value up front in the right way. So uh, measuring is really important, definitely. Yeah, so I'm hearing you say a few things here. Um, measuring the goal, mm -hmm. you have to, to have a goal to, to be able to uh, assign value and to prioritize your backlog or order mm -hmm. your backlog. Um, so you, you need the goal to be able to do that and then track metrics on whether you actually reach the goal. Definitely. And on the other hand, um, you're also mentioning uh, having metrics in place that tell you a lot more about the app usage, for instance, in, in, in the case mm -hmm. of an app, 
uh, and uh, other stuff that you, uh, other features you have in your app, how they are used, what they mm -hmm. are doing, and to be informed uh, for new ideas from that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because in in a lot of situations, if you're doing doing Scrum or traditional project management, mm -hmm. we we well, I at least used to work with business cases traditionally. And when you're going to build something, then up front the business case was designed and we made estimations about cost savings or new revenue streams and that kind yes. of stuff. Yes. But the, the difficulty was that we estimated it up front, but we never measured the outcome later. Mm, so yeah. it was those business cases were made and if they looked positive, we were just going to build it. Yes. But the outcomes of business cases are measured well, not so often, let's say, it, uh, put it like that. Yeah, yeah. So, although you may want to choose different practices for, for estimating your value, you definitely want to measure what the outcome is. Yeah. And so, going back to the example of the self-service system we, uh, we worked on uh, a time ago, um, we measured, for example, how many declarations were done and how much time people spend in that, that process, for example because we really wanted to make it as easy as possible for them mm -hmm. to, to manage stuff like leave and, and holidays and declarations and, and planning schedules, that yes. kind of stuff. So the less time they spend in the app, the better it was, um, considering that our vision was to really, um, well, relieve organizations from the administrative uh, stress that they, they got. Mm -hmm. So less time in the app would be better in that situation. So we had to measure how much time people spend in the app um, so that we could actually show organizations, look, mm -hmm. by using this software, you will actually save this amount of money or this amount of time, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not only important for, for knowing what is valued in your product, but I think it's really valuable too for sales as well to, to help them sell the product better mm -hmm. because you just have data to show that it works. Exactly. In this case, you reach the same goals uh, that other apps maybe also be mm -hmm. able to deliver, but in less time. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of value in that. Yeah, definitely. Winning time is always a good thing. Yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, and I want to highlight uh, one other metric um, to round this off. Um, because what you said in the stakeholder management part, the example you gave that you were building stuff for just one stakeholder, essentially mm -hmm. one, one user, mm -hmm. um, that's also something that uh, we see uh, a lot, uh, that, that you just don't know about the usage of the features of your product mm -hmm. and therefore are putting the effort in the wrong places, which mm -hmm. we don't want because that's yeah. wasteful, right? Definitely. So uh, another metric you could use in that case is... Uh, um, uh, the, the, actually, the, the feature usage or uh, something mm -hmm. like that, you could track that. Uh, that's really, for software, really easy to build in. Mm -hmm. uh, for non-software environments, sometimes it's a bit harder to, to get there. You probably have to ask customers which parts yeah, of probably. your service they value mm -hmm. most or use most. But um, that's really essential, in my opinion, to know if you're investing in the right parts and developing the right stuff. Yeah, but also uh, I believe that, that, for example, we're doing a lot of trainings, uh, of mm. course, and uh, a really agile example, in my opinion, is we were developing a new training, um, yeah. and uh, we have a lot of knowledge and experience in practice. So the material for the content, uh, uh, yeah, for the content of the training was mm. already in the heads of some people. Yeah. But instead of really developing the training with the program and content and slide decks and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, instead of really doing a lot of effort first, uh, we just put on a text on the website, so it was a marketing activity we were going to do, 
And by doing that activity, some people subscribe to the training. And by putting a billboard besides the road, we saw that increasing. And instead of doing all the work up front, you can also just, well, sell yourself into trouble, as we like to call it, mm -hmm. and just see if you can fill up a training. And if it worked, then you can actually develop it. Yes. So from a sales or marketing perspective, you could also look at, well, visitors on the website, for example, or conversion rates or that kind of stuff. Yes. And everything you do should contribute to that. Yeah, so see where the interest of the customer lies and then yeah. act on that and whether it's actual usage of existing features or potential features, mm -hmm. there you can also optimize a bit of the investment. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool, thanks for that example, by the way. Uh, cool. I think that's really a nice uh, way to uh, also give a different spin to this topic. Mm -hmm. So, uh, thank you. Um, I believe we've talked a great amount about lots of valuable things. Mm -hmm. So, for me, we're now transitioning into the end of the, uh, the interview. And um, I gave you a bit of homework, asked you a few questions, <laughs> and if you had some, some tips for uh, our listeners on, uh, on different examples. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the tips I always ask is uh, uh, which book or article did you recently read? Uh, and uh, uh, you, you write a lot of articles, which means you have to optimize time somewhere. And you shared with me, well, that means I don't read a lot of books of article or articles. Mm -hmm. Probably that's why you are reading a, uh, writing a book and I'm not. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll skip that question. There's, there's going to be a lot of articles linked by Robin. So uh, uh, that will answer that question, basically. Mm -hmm. It's just your own content. Fine, mm -hmm. um, but there were also two other questions with, to which you had pretty interesting uh, ideas. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like to you to first share um, uh, about your favorite product or products and why they are so great. Yeah. So do you want to know about a product uh, that I've worked on, or just a product that I like a lot? A product, because I think if you can, can give an example that people can recognize and explain mm -hmm. why it is so great, it will um, help them identify that maybe in their own situation as well. So just see you as a, a product owner, uh, an expert on product ownership, mm -hmm. uh, um, can probably identify and put into words better why a product is great and what we can learn from that. Okay. Yeah, so one aspect that, so the, so my favorite product, so to say, is, is uh, basically my own MacBook and iPhone. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And the reason why it's my personal favorite product um, is because it just always works. And I've used uh, Apple products now for eight years and I've never, in eight years experienced a single problem. Um, cool. So, well, that just does the job it should do. That's one aspect I really like. Mm -hmm. um, Where's the value in that for you? Um, that Well, one thing that's valuable for me is that stuff is reliable. Um, okay. And uh, that you can just trust it to, to do the job it's supposed to do. Mm. So uh, when when products continuously break down, I tend to, well, put it away and don't use it anymore. Instead of, if it continuously works, then, then well, it's probably a basic need that you just have, or, or at least I have. But that's an important thing, okay. um, as well as that the, the integration and the way of, of, of working, the easiness of using it, mm -hmm. um, that I like a lot. Yeah. And um, there, in, in, for example, Windows computers, it's all, all, uh, also integrated nowadays. 
but the way we you can use your fingers to swap from one item to another on such a MacBook, mm -hmm. that just works really intuitive. And uh, on, on the Windows computer, when I used it eight years ago, you had to go to icons and click it and ah, move from yeah. one thing to the <laughs> next, etc. Whilst on a MacBook, you just swiped your fingers around and you were, well, in a new program within a second. Mm -hmm. So it also saved me a lot of time. Ah, so time savings again. Yeah, no. so, so a bit of efficiency, <laughs> uh, easy to use. Um, yeah, that, that was really helpful. Okay. So uh, what would be the takeaway to product owners developing their own product or service, um, which they can apply to their backlog ordering, their stakeholder management, their maximizing value? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that when I look at how product owners estimate a lot of product backlog items, mm -hmm. uh, in many organizations, um, law and regulation stuff always comes first, which yeah. maybe isn't so strange. Um, but mm -hmm. after that, it's most of the time about cost savings or it's about profit. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is really valuable. But I believe that uh, product owners should also consider the aspect of easiness of use of the product, for example. Yes. And of course, that's also something that, that comes from the designs and, and the way the development team builds the product. Uh -huh. um, but easiness of usage is something I value a lot in, in the products I use a lot. Um, so I think that's something that they should consider. Yeah, and which is often forgotten under pressure of all these other things yeah. happening. Cool. Yeah, and if you make a product easy to use, you will probably see the usage go up mm -hmm. um, and therewith reducing costs yeah. or increasing profits. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, invest some experiments in this direction, track the metrics as we discussed, yeah. the proper metrics for it, and prove that there's value in the, the ease of use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so which, some which our good, good feeling and, and experience, personal experience mm -hmm. already tells us might be valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's very nice, thank you. And then to round off, I think this is uh, a great way to, to end this uh, podcast because we talk a lot about product ownership. Product owner is a role in uh, Scrum. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other question I ask you, what is the most important uh, part of the Scrum gu Guide uh, you believe uh, uh, you want to share? Or maybe this, the thing, if the, you th say there's nothing important in the Scrum Guide because Scrum <laughs> is horrible, uh, you, uh, you, you think is most wrong in the Scrum Guide. So mm -hmm. uh, pick your answer and uh, share yep. please with us uh, what, uh, what you feel is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, uh, of course, since this is about product ownership, uh, I especially took a look at a section about the product owner. Great. Um, and one of the most important things, I believe, in that, that section about the product owner is that the product owner is one sole person and not a committee, mm -hmm. um, and that people in the organization need to respect the product owner's decisions. Yes. And maybe that's not necessarily a tip for the product owners that are listening, but more for the organizations <laughs> uh, or, or managers or other people in organizations yes. listening, um, that the way we look at product ownership mm -hmm. in many organizations is that the role is not as mature as it should be. Yeah. And if you're really considering the product owner as kind of a mini CEO, a, a entrepreneur, and if you respect his or her decisions and see her in her as the sole person uh, who is profit and loss responsible for a product, for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. um, then the product owner becomes a different person, I think. And yes. you need to have a different perspective on that role. Great. So my, well, that would be the most important thing about the Scrum Guide, I believe. 
And I hope that if more organizations embrace that idea, that the role of product owners will mature and well, they can grow more onto a entrepreneur mm -hmm. kind of role. Great, and I really like the use of the word perspective in that uh, mm -hmm. that part. You, you did that very nicely. I didn't instruct you, but that's <laughs> one of the reasons why I call this the product owner perspective, mm -hmm. um, because uh, it's all about the way you look at things, the way you approach things. Mm -hmm. And I uh, believe that everything we talked about will support product owners. So everything we talked about in this entire hour, I think mm -hmm. we are <laughs> at that point <laughs> Something uh, like now, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, will help product owners become better product owners, growing towards that entrepreneur type of mandate. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially the book you're currently working on with Willem, uh, will probably also help them because if they become better at saying no and better at people uh, 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 listening to them saying no, mm -hmm. accepting it, <laughs> because yeah. the respecting the decisions, say, say, yeah. uh, <laughs> saying it and, and, and actually uh, uh, getting listened to are two different things sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but this will help any organization uh, uh, wanting to improve uh, using Scrum and make better decisions and have a, a better working environment. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, thank you for the great questions. Yes, I really appreciated all your answers. I hope uh, uh, the people listening and the people uh, having watched the video like it as well. And um, since we're experimenting with a new format, uh, having that weird feeling for now because it's the first time break in the middle where we <laughs> switch to video mode. I'm doing air quotes, but now we're in the audio mode, so no one sees it. Uh, uh, so please give us feedback. Uh, what, what was valuable? What do you think uh, was a bit too long? Or uh, uh, where uh, are, are points where you wanted to ask a question to Robin that I didn't ask? Uh, you can still connect to Robin and ask him, but also tell me so I become better at this and uh, helping delivering value to you through this podcast. So please give us feedback. Please tell us what you like. Please tell us what you would like to hear. And uh, thank you very much, Robin. We will link all your details cool. uh, in the audio and video podcast. And, uh, Let's hope uh, people find you and also go read your book because I'm very excited. Yeah, about I definitely it, uh, hope myself. so. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, uh, for the listeners at home, hope to uh, uh, be able to speak to you another time. Goodbye. Please connect with Stuart on LinkedIn. Tweet at us at PO underscore podcast and at Shortly or shoot a mail at s.kranendonk at awareness.nl. Audio and video recording at ProWareness Studio Delft by Matthijs van Vliet. Audio podcast editing by Sjoerd Kranendonk. Video editing and production by Matthijs van Vliet. Music from Kevin McLeod in comtech.com under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Thanks again for listening and please keep maximizing that value.